We're excited to get back into um, our verse by verse teaching to the book of Colossians, which we've been away from for the last few weeks as we've gotten into different things. And so if you want to make your way to Colossians chapter three, what we've been um, looking at here and in typical Pauline fashion, Paul would love to write his letters uh, and, and divide it up in a very theological way, but then a very practical way. So Paul would oftentimes move from looking at doctrine to move into duty and, and how that applies to us now. Things that we've seen God do to look now at what that means for us. And the book of Colossians is no different because Paul has been looking at doctrinal truths in the first two chapters. But now as we move into chapter three, we're going to be looking at some practical things, what this means to us. How do we live these things out now? And Paul essentially through the book of Colossians has been looking to emphasize the preeminence and superiority of Jesus Christ. As there's been false teachers coming into the church at Colossus and looking to corrupt the gospel and the message and make Jesus less than. And so Paul's having to write in kind of um, uh, opposition in a sense or defense of what these people are saying to reveal the truth about who Jesus is. So chapters one and two, Paul has looked at Christ's preeminence and Christ's preeminence essentially declared to the church. I'll see if I can get this going up here. There we go, all right. And then now in chapters three and four, we look at the practical. We move from the doctrinal to the practical, looking at Christ's preeminence demonstrated now through the church. And this is kind of how Colossians breaks down and how many of Paul's letters break down for us. So as we move into chapter three, we're gonna look at a number of things that should encourage us to live these lives to the glory of God. And if we're gonna declare the greatness of Jesus Christ, we better be sure that we're demonstrating the very greatness of Jesus in and through our lives. So we're gonna look at a couple things as we uh, move through this chapter. We're gonna see the believer's affection, and then we're gonna look at the believer's apparel. The believer's affection, verses one to four, and the believer's apparel, how we're clothed, how we're looking here in verses five to 11. Look at verse one with me of Colossians chapter three. It says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, when Paul says if, right, Paul's not asking this in and questioning the potential legitimacy of this. Paul's not looking out at his audience or the church in class going, well, I think this might pertain to some of you, but others I'm not too sure about. He's not asking this if indeed you've been raised with Christ. What Paul is essentially saying is since you have been raised with Christ, and he's been identifying that in those first couple chapters of Colossians. He's communicating that those who have put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the reality for you is that you have been raised with Christ now. And that's, like I said, been made very clear for us in the first couple of chapters, let's look at a couple of those verses just as a, a reminder. And again, just to go over what Paul's been laying out first. Look at chapter one, verse four of Colossians. Verse four of chapter one, he says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. And then look at verse 21 of chapter one. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Colossians 1 verse 27, it just keeps getting better, my friends. Look at this. <laughs> to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I, I love it because Paul's going, can you guys even, uh, even understand the incredible things that God has done for us that we're not just living for God, trying to reach God. The very God now is dwelling in you through Jesus Christ. And this is the hope of glory for us. Christ in you, can you imagine that? This is incredible stuff. But wait, there's more. Chapter two, verse 10, this is just a bit of review in Colossians, what Paul's been covering. 
Paul says, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. These false teachers were saying, oh, you need to go through all these different creations that God has done to reach God. Paul says, nuh-uh, it's all in Jesus Christ. You're completing him. You need nothing more. There's no other avenues to God. It's through Jesus Christ and you are complete in him. Verse 12 of chapter two, and you've been buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working God who raised him from the dead. And so this is where Paul is taking us now the beginning of chapter three. You've been buried with him, you've been raised with him. So now Paul reminds us again, since all of these things that we've seen Jesus do for you, what does that mean for you? So he reminds us, listen, if and not if, this isn't a question now for those that put their faith in Jesus. The reality is, is that if you put your faith in Jesus, you have been raised with Christ. So then seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You see, our identity now is completely wrapped up in Christ. We've been raised with him. We've been changed. We've been transformed and we've been made completely new. We're not what we once were. We are new now in Christ. So we shouldn't let the things of the former nature now begin to drag us down or distract us. Seek that which is above where Christ is. I love that. Where Christ is, that's where I wanna be. That's where I wanna be meditating on, dwelling on, thinking about. I wanna be where Christ is. Now I understand that there's a very real and often struggle with the flesh. Because like I said, we've been raised with Christ, but the reality is, is we're not what we once were, but we're not yet what we will be. We are still now, you know, clothed in this earthly flesh that has impulses and desires for the things of the world. And it keeps trying to pull us down. And we'll talk about some of those things, but here's what Paul wants to identify for us right off the hop here is that we have been raised with Christ. So we don't need to continue to look at the temporal, stop trying to find fulfillment in the physical and realize that in the spiritual, we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We've been raised with him. That's our position and reality today. So live in that and seek those things that lift us up above the temporal and physical that get us onto higher ground and onto greater things. That's in Jesus Christ. So I love what David would say in Psalm 61. He's a guy that I'm sure experienced a lot of trial and difficulty and the the pull of the flesh and things that overwhelmed him. But David says in Psalm 61 verse two, when my heart is overwhelmed, Lord, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Now we know 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that that rock is Jesus Christ. He's our refuge. He's our, he's our stronghold. He's the one that we, we go to. So David says, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, when I'm feeling like the, the pull of this world is just dragging me down, Lord, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Let me get a, a fresh view, a different perspective that comes in and through you, Jesus. So Paul is saying much the same thing. When he, when he says here, seek those things which are above. Get your eyes higher and off of your problems and seek those things which are above where Christ is. That's ultimately the key for us. Get your eyes on Jesus. Too often our attention is fixed on this world. It's like running with ankle weights on. Anybody done that before? I know me neither. I've never. Why would I ever do that? But, but you get the idea of like running with ankle weights on or you're running with, you know, boots on. If you're doing work, you're trying to run. You're just like, oh, you're getting tripped up. You're just getting pulled down. It's difficult. It's hard to move ahead. But when you raise your sights to who Christ is, and where Christ is and what Christ has done for you, suddenly you just begin to see, oh, life is glorious. Life is good. And, and, and this world really has nothing for me. It's all found in Jesus. And I find just a, a spring in my step, a, a joy in my spirit as I begin to set my sights on things above where Christ is. Now the idea of seeking those things the idea that the word seeking is that Greek word that really implies having a desire for or a striving after. It's, it's something that you're just so earnest for that you're not letting anything kind of get in the way of you striving for those things. 
It's like a child on a treasure hunt, which I got to witness firsthand this past week because we had a, a Christmas present that was for our our neighbor kids. We've got three neighbor kids that are cute. They go to our church and, and um, we had this Christmas present for them, but it had been sitting in our house. We forgot to, we just, I mean, I know they're right there, but we just never got it to their house. And every time I remembered, it was like they're in bed sleeping. So I was like, okay, we'll do it tomorrow. And, and so we ended up just doing it like two weeks after Christmas. So I said, okay, I'm going to do a treasure hunt. So I, I put all these clues in my house and I, and I hid the treasure, the present, right? And I had all these kids. And so they, they came over and I said, okay, guys, I got a treasure hunt for you. And they just started whipping through the house. And they were like, boom, pushing each other out of the way. They're running up the stairs. They're like, don't knock somebody down the stairs. Be careful. But they're just racing through the house to try to get to the present, the treasure. You know, there was an earnestness. There was a, a seeking after where it was like nothing else is gonna get in the way or deter me from doing this. That's the idea that, of what Paul has here. When he says, seek those things which are above. Are we seeking those things like that? Are we seeking the things that are above where Christ is? To where we're saying, I don't want anything to get in the way that the things of this world will not compare to that. The things of this world have nothing for me, but Jesus has everything for me. And I wanna seek after those things in that way. Now notice what Paul says here. He says, not to seek after those things where Christ is, but he says, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Now that implies a couple things for us. Sitting at the right hand of God. You see, sitting implies rest. It implies the work is done. You see, my friends, I want you to be certain that these are not things that you're seeking after or striving after in order to be right with God, in order to achieve favor with God. Understand something, that the work is done. Our salvation is complete the moment we put our faith in Jesus because he's done the work for us. Jesus died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And what did he say? The cross, he said, it is finished. Tetelestai, it's paid in full. The work is done. And so Jesus, when he died, he rose again. And then he was ascended to heaven where he is sitting at the right hand of God. Jesus is in a place of rest because the work is done. When you come home from a day of work, what do you like to do? If you're normal, you like to sit down. There's some of you that go, well, I got work to do at home and you keep yourself busy and you don't like to sit down. And to you, we will be praying for you to be <laughs> normal like the rest. No, I'm kidding. I'm thankful for people like that. I'm just not one of them. But uh, <laughs> the, uh, you're the ones that get things done. I understand that. So we're thankful for you. But, but when you come home from a day's work, you like to sit down because you're saying the work is done. I'm finished. It's done. Jesus is sitting. The work is done. We're not striving for salvation or for favor with God. That's been accomplished through what Jesus did down on the cross for us. We receive that by faith now and recognize that salvation is complete in and through Christ as we abide in him. Secondly, not only is Jesus sitting, but he's sitting at the right hand. And the right hand signifies that position of power and authority. In other words, Jesus is reigning from a place of authority and control. When we see the things that are going on in the world around us, we can sometimes begin to think, God, are you aware of what's going on down here? <laughs> are you seeing what's happening? Are you, are you managing these things? The answer is yes, he is. Jesus is sitting at the right hand. He is in control. He is overseeing all things. And he is in that position of power where nothing is happening apart from the Lord allowing it to happen. When you see things going on around you, you don't need to fear. We need to just simply look to the one that is overseeing all the affairs of this world and who's in control of it all. So, Paul says here, keep your focus where it needs to be. This is what Paul keeps reminding us of here as we finally move on to verse two. <laughs> set, <laughs> set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, again, like we've been seeing and sharing here, that this world is, is fading away. It, it will happen physically, but the affections of this world for our lives presently should be fading away. 
to where we're seeing that the, the things of this world don't, don't please us, don't satisfy us. There's no contentment in those things. It's supposed to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, because there's nothing here for us. Now, yes, yes, there's, there's responsibilities, there's, there's work to be done, there's, there's ministry where we're to be engaged in the saving of souls. There are things to be occupied with in this world on an eternal level, but all those things flow from a spiritual mind. Some like to say, you know, you can be too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. You've heard people say that. Um, and there are those, you know, that can certainly just be walking around with their head in the clouds and they just don't know anything of what's really going on, you know, in the world we get that. But we, we sometimes use that, and I, I, I've grown up in the church and, and you hear that being said from those people that love to talk about the world, the word and love to talk about Jesus and some, sometimes we're just like, oh, you know, don't, don't lay that kind of trip. You, you can be too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. But that's not what the, the Bible teaches us. That's not what Paul is showing us. That's not what the word of God is revealing to us here. Because what we're seeing the word of God teaching us is that unless you are heavenly minded, you're not gonna be any earthly good. This is what we're, we're seeing here. Paul says, no, not, not look out at what's going on in the world and really live according to that. He says, get your mind off of those things and above where Christ is. Seek those things which are above, not on the things on the earth. And unless we have that kind of mindset and view, we're not going to be any earthly good on an eternal perspective here. Here's a proper perspective to have. You've died to the things of this world. See, when we accepted Christ's death for the forgiveness of our sins, we were also pledging our life to Jesus. We were saying, I'm laying my life down that I might live now in Christ. Jesus died for us, but in coming to him, we're also saying, okay, I want that life. But in order to have that life, I'm gonna lay down my life and take up now this newness of life that you have for me. So now the things of this world should no longer have that kind of attraction or affection or interest to us as new creations in Christ. See, a dead person no longer has any cravings or appetite for a nice New York steak with a side of garlic mashed potatoes, as nice as that is, and as much as I enjoy that, and especially on lunchtime when I shouldn't be talking about those things um, right now, but as much as we enjoy that, a dead person's gone, no, don't need it, don't want it. There's no appetite any longer because they're dead. And so the question is now for us is like, what kind of appetite do we have? Do we have an appetite for the things of this world? Are we still striving after those things? Or are we more satisfied with the things of the Lord? Which is where we should be. Because your life is now in Christ to where the appetite for the former things, the worldly things, should be fading in interest and satisfaction. Now. Like I said, that can be a, a difficult thing and a challenge for us in this world because like I said earlier, we're still clothed in these earthly bodies. There's still this flesh that's looking to have its way and to be fed. So how do we deal with that? How do we live no longer influenced by sin or the pleasures of this world? Look at what Romans 6 verse 11 says. Paul, Paul writes this to us and he says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace." Paul makes it very clear, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. 
consider yourself, see yourself as now dead man walking when it comes to this world and the things of this world. And it's a position we take by faith. We live in a fleshy body where we're at war with it constantly. But you see, when those temptations come, we don't have to let it have control over us. We reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, crucifying the flesh, it's a slow death. But here's what Paul says too, is we don't just consider ourselves dead to sin, but what? Alive to God. We've died to the old person, but now we see also that we're alive now in God. We've been given new life. We're a new creation. A new creation that no longer lives for the old things, but for the new things, the new things of Christ. We're alive to God in Christ Jesus. And God brings victory when we die to sin and keep our affection upwards on him who is our life. And remember, in the midst of the struggle, as there's gonna be temptation, there's a pull of flesh. In the midst of all that, remember that your life is now, what? Hidden with Christ in God. You have great protection and security in and through the Lord. See, we don't have a blessed hope because we're such a blessing. We're not going to heaven because we're so holy and perfect. These are realities simply because we are in Christ. You're hidden in him and you're clothed in his righteousness, not your own. So being hidden in him speaks to that security and satisfaction. I remember when I was a, a kid and you know there'd be times where I would kind of, you know, bug somebody, take somebody off. I know you're going, what? Really? That seems so odd. I could not imagine that. But there was a time, maybe, a few, couple times. And so there was a kid that lived down the street. He's a friend of mine. We're in the same grade. But there'd be times where he would just get like really ticked off and irate and just kind of explode on me. And he would just be like in, a, in like the Hulk, you know, turn into a rage. And he would just want to take me down. And I was scared of this guy. And I remembered, he lived about four houses down. I remembered, if I can just get home and get behind my brother. I know the brother. He was bigger. My brother was always the tallest kid in his class. I did not inherit any of those genes. I was always the shortest kid in my class. He matured much, much quicker than I did. I'm still waiting on some of those things myself. But he was like this man at just, you know, a few years old. He was like a man. But I knew if I can just get behind him, I'm going to be protected and I'm going to be secure. There's nothing that the enemy or the foe can do to me. And that's the idea, I think, of with Christ, where we are hidden with Christ in God, that we're protected. There's security. There's nothing that the enemy can do when, when, the, when the flesh is, is rising up. But remember, I'm in Christ. I don't need to give in to these things. I don't need to let these things, you know, come and, and, and take me down. I'm hidden with Christ in God. I need to find that security and strength in him. See, Jesus gives us power to live for him now, but he also gives us hope for what lies ahead. Look at verse four. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, we might feel far from glory right now, right? I think you would agree. But remember, your past, your present, and your future is all wrapped up in Christ. Your past, present, future identity is in Christ. You've died to sin. That's your past, right? You are hidden with Christ in God. That's your present. And as we see in verse four, you also will appear with him in glory. That's your future. It's all wrapped up in Christ, what he's done for us, who he is to us, and what he is continuing to do through us. Jesus has come again. I believe he's coming soon. I cannot wait. He's coming soon, but, but, but here's the thing. Is now, we see this life is, is so temporal. And, and, and our affections and desires are not to be for this life. All those that have loved his appearing, those that are, are born again, will appear with him in glory. That, there's, there's no hope in this world. Our hope lies in Christ. And it lies in what Christ has done for us, what he's doing in us, and what he will yet do with us. And living life in Christ is such a blessing because it just goes from, from great to greater. It just keeps getting better and better in Christ. When we have an eternal perspective, our earthly problems and pains and struggles become much less significant. 
That's what Paul is trying to share with us here. Don't be focused on the things around you in trying to live for those things and find satisfaction or hope in those things. Set your sights higher. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. And notice what, I, I, I love what Paul goes on to say. Let me, let me share this quote from C.S. Lewis before I get ahead of myself here. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they become so ineffective in this one. I think that's so true. Those who thought most of the next. I pray that we are thinking of what God has in store for us, but that it's also changing how we're living for him today. And then Paul, I, I love this. He says at the end of verse four, um, or sorry, beginning of verse four, when Christ who is our life, I don't wanna, I don't wanna miss that. Because for Paul, he says this is what it's all about. When Christ who is our life. See, we can oftentimes make Christ a part of our life, right? Or say, well, I got a lot of things going on in this world. I got a lot of fun things that are happening. And, you know, I've got, uh, you know, my hockey team. I've got my, you know, video games. I've got all these things that, and, G, and then, you know, on Sundays, right? I've got, you know, church and, and, and I try to bring Jesus into all these things. But Jesus becomes a part of our life. But what does Paul say? When Christ who is our life, my friends, I pray that Jesus is everything to us and for us, that he's not a part of our life, but that we've died and our life is now just Christ. It's like what Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ. You're going to say to die is gain, which means I just want to be with Christ. But he reveals that for me, my life is, is Christ. He's my life. So when Christ, who is our life, appears, and we also shall appear with him in glory. May Jesus be your life, your joy, your everything. So that's the believer's affection, where we're to be dying to ourselves, to the things of this world, and we're to be understanding that we've been raised up with Christ. We have a different perspective, a different life now, and our life is Christ. But now Paul goes on to talk about the believer's apparel. So now, how should that be looking now in our life here? So he says in verse five, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul begins to focus on the reason why we should be dead to self and to sin. And, and this isn't about you know, religious piety or some kind of rigid asceticism. Paul is gonna lay out for us the very simple truth that any sin, anything that is apart from God is gonna destroy us. It's not Paul saying, you know what, you just need to live more holy. You need to put away that sin because you know, you're just not gonna make it. He said, you need to put these things away because they're gonna kill you. So the call is very strong. It is very serious and necessary one. Put to death your members which are on the earth. And that's not, you know, looking around the room and going, okay, what members do we have here that aren't holding up, living up to these? And what members are keeping us back? Let's take them down. It's not what Paul's saying. Don't get carried away here, people. When he's talking about your members, he's talking about you personally, the members of your life, the old nature that were following the dictates of this world. He says those old sinful habits, you're to put to death. That's the members that he's talking about now. And just so there's no confusion, if you're wondering, well, what about this? What about that? Paul's gonna give us a good list now to reveal some of these things that we need to put to death. He starts out by saying it's fornication. Fornication is sexual immorality, the Greek word is porneia, where we get our word pornography. And this covers the gamut of illicit sexual activity. It includes pornography, homosexuality, adultery, premarital sex, it's anything outside of the parameters of what God has intended. And what has God intended? Well, we covered that last week as we looked through along with other churches in North America, biblical sexuality in defense of, of Bill C4 as we see what God's word speaks about these things. 
and God has intended sex to be in the confines of a committed married relationship between a man and a woman. Yes, he defines it right down to gender and sex. It's man and woman in a committed relationship together. And you know, you may have reasons to justify sex out of marriage. And these days it's becoming far too commonplace, even among the Christian community, where people feel like, oh, you know what, we're just, we're just gonna move in together before we're married, we're gonna, you know, we plan, we're, you know, we've committed in our hearts to get married, so it's okay, you know, if we have sex now before we actually, you know, have this, this is the way that many are, are beginning to think and justify it. But let me just say, God will never bless it, and you will never be blessed in it. That act will never be a blessing to you when done apart from God's way that he prescribes it to be done in. And he goes on to say uncleanness. This, this could refer to our thoughts, our actions, our, our speech. Paul's speaking of a, a dirty moral behavior here. It's the impurity of lustful living. Then he moves on to passion. And that's a, an uncontrolled passion or lust where we have to be careful. We're not putting ourselves in a, in a position or, or an environment where those things are going to be stirred up. Song of Solomon says, do not stir up love before it's time. Don't put yourself in a position where this is going to be hard because that's a, a fire that's hard to quench when that starts to, to burn, this passion that you have. So be careful with that. Evil desire, it also speaks of lust, but more of an intense craving and wicked intent. And then lastly, covetousness. Covetousness is just greed for more. And this too could be pertaining to a sexual sin. And the thing with covetousness is it quickly turns into idolatry. And idolatry was the thing that really, again, plagued the nation of Israel as they were turned away from their affection being on God onto other things that led them away from God and led them into judgment. We need to be careful with these things. Luke chapter 12, verse 15, uh, Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now, this first list has something in common. It's all quite tied to sexual sins. And what do we see emerging from our world all the more? We see just uh, an unhealthy gravitation and over-sexualization of our culture. Kids sadly are being, you know, are growing up being brainwashed to think that these things are normal. They're seeing it in, in TV. They're being taught things in school that I didn't come to learn until just a few years ago. I mean, I'm like, these kids are, are just moving too fast here where the things are being told about things of, you know, uh, uh, all things pertain to sex. It's, it's just insane what's happening. We can't watch TV anymore at night, not so much because of the shows that are on, but the commercials that are being played. Because the commercials is like all these companies going, well, we got to sex sells and we got to use sex to sell our product. And, and it's just the most ridiculous things that you see. It's possible to watch TV in an evening and, and see more sensual sights than our grandparents ever saw in their whole lifetime. I mean, it's just completely bombarded society now. And, and Paul says here, these are things that we need to put to death. No matter how much culture tries to normalize it, no matter how much you might try to justify certain things, Paul says these are things that you need to put to death. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what, why does God want to rob us of all this fun? Why do I have to wait till I'm married? What if I don't find a wife or a husband? Why do I have to wait? Why does God want to rob me of all these things? Listen, God is not looking to rob you of any fun. He tells you to put these things to death because if you don't, they will put you to death. God is looking to protect your life. God is looking to spare you and God ultimately wants to give you life, not rob you of life or joy. He wants to be your joy and he wants to be your life and these things will ultimately bring you down and destroy you. Look at what Paul, Paul says as much in verse six. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Sodom and Gomorrah is a great example of that. They lived in the immorality and idolatry of their sin and it was very sexualized and they paid a heavy price. God doesn't give us 
any of his commandments to rob us of life. God's not, not trying to be a killjoy. Says, okay, I'm gonna put all these commandments on you. I'm gonna really test you. I'm gonna make your life miserable, but it's gonna really prove if you're to be accepted or not. You know, like this isn't God's heart in these things. He gives us his commandments to say, I want you to experience life. He did, so, he did this with the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 says, see, I set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him. For notice this, for he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. Choose life, he says. Choosing life means you're choosing his commandments. You're gonna walk in obedience. In so doing, you're gonna be choosing life because what does God say? He is your life. Just like we've seen already here in verse four, when Christ who is our life, God is our life and he lengthens our days and not just lengthens our days, but causes them to be prosperous and a blessing and joy. Amen. It's not found in any other way. God's not trying to be a killjoy. He's trying to be bringing joy into your life. And the way that that happens is by walking according to his way and his word. It's quite simple. That's the way of blessing. Don't think that skipping around those things and going the world's ways is gonna provide any joy or blessing in your life. It robs you of it ultimately. Well, listen, we've hit on some of the big sins and, and not that there's a grade in sin, but these are things that some might feel aren't really strong vices in their life. Right? They might begin to feel like they've really got it all together. But now, Paul gets a little more personal and he starts to lay out another list here that are things that we start to go, oh man, it's time to go. I got lunch to get to. But we got the doors locked so you can't go anywhere. So verse eight. Um, and, and you know, one thing I wanna say, um, touching on this here, verse, verse seven again. Let me back up a bit. Because notice what Paul says, in which you once walked. Again, it's very easy to look around and start to kind of judge or look at yourself and go, ah, you know, I don't struggle with fornication, adultery, those kinds of things, covetousness. Ah, it's not part of my life. But I, I know there's people here that really need to hear this. I'm glad they're here. Lord, just work in their lives right now. We're praying for other people, right? We're like, preach it, Brent. I know you're not preaching to me, but preach it to those other people. But notice what Paul says, in which you once walked. And again, this isn't about succumbing to sin. It's not about being tripped up by sin. This is about a pattern of living that Paul is addressing here that should not mark the person that's in Christ, where Christ is your life. It's not about falling in a sin because we're still clothing these earthly bodies. We're not gonna be perfect. We're not what we're going to be. But we keep seeking to set our sights on the Lord and live in him and through him. When we sin, we're thankful that 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we turn to the Lord. But understand, Paul's addressing a pattern of living where if these things are the way that you are walking they're the way that we once walked because we've all had those before christ days of our lives you weren't born a christian where you had it all together you've all had those days where you were in sin and you walked that way but christ has changed that he saved you he's transformed you to where these are not the way that you should be walking now don't let these things be a pattern in your life. And don't look at your 
self as better than others because we've all been there. We all once walked this way. So then Paul goes on to look at some of these things that maybe you're feeling like, again, yeah, I haven't really hit those verse five markers, but here he comes into verse eight. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. These are some of the less obvious things and sometimes the permissible sins, anger. See, Paul is showing how we need to put off the old and we need to put on the new. The verb put off calls for immediate and decisive resolution. Before new garments of righteousness can be put on, he says you need to put off the old. The old things need to be discarded. You don't take a baby that needs a diaper change and just put on a new diaper before taking off the old one. As much as that would be a lot easier and cleaner, and your wife could even say, did you change the baby's diaper? You can say, yeah, I did. And you'd be right. But it's not helping if you didn't take off the old first. So too, Paul's identifying that, you know, put off the old so the new can be put on. So here's some of those old things, anger. It's a, a, a vengeful or, you know, feeling of hatred that brings an unsettled spirit. Wrath. It's the Greek word thumos, where we get our word thermometer. And you know what a thermometer does? It reveals the temperature of the room and the temperature of the thermometer or the, the thermometer goes up as things in the room heat up. That's the way it is for some people. They allow the, the conditions, the environment around them to cause them to just explode. They get just fired up to where there's just wrath pouring out of them. It's not the way it ought to be for the person that's in Christ. Malice, he mentions, that's a vicious character, one that wants to hurt the character or person of another, and blasphemy, that can be against God, can also be against another person. It's to defame the name of God or misrepresent him. It's also when you speak an untrue thing about another, and then filthy language, swear words, obscenities, yes, even dirty joking that a lot of Christians can tend to excuse. It's just say, oh, it's no big deal, it's just a little bit of humor, but Paul says in Ephesians 4, 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And then he adds to this now in verse nine. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And again, we look at do not lie to another. And we're like, oh man. Again, I wasn't feeling too bad with verse eight. Now, ouch, verse nine, lying. And again, we've all, I'm sure, excused little white lies, justified them, thinking there's times to just kind of bend the truth a little bit. But simply put, to lie is to deceive another, and that's the enemy's work. The devil is called the father of lies. He's a deceiver. It's very easy to distort the truth but it'll never have a good outcome. There was a guy that was really tight. He's looking for a gift to give a friend. Everything was super expensive except for a glass vase that had been broken. And he thought, well, I could purchase that for almost nothing. So he asked the store to send it, hoping his friend would think that it had been broken in transit. <laughs> in due time, this man received a note from his friend and the friend said, hey, thanks a lot for the vase. And it was very thoughtful of you to wrap each piece individually. <laughs> Your sin will find you out, right? That comes down to lying too. And you see, lying is so offensive because God is the God of truth. That's one thing that God can't do. God cannot lie. He's a God that upholds his word. He upholds his promises. And it should be no different for those who are followers of God. Paul says, don't let these characterize your life because these are of the old man and we have put that man down. We've laid down the old man. Notice again that you've put off the old man in verse nine and then in verse 10, you put on the new man. This is not a, a command that we have to try to keep, but a truth simply to claim. It's already been done. We're exhorted to stop doing certain things because we can stop 
We're different, therefore we can act differently. We've been made new in Christ. As we look in, we realize that we are no longer what we once were. We're told that we put on the new man, and that new man is Christ, and we are now, it says, being renewed in knowledge. I love that. Renewed in knowledge, how? Well, first of all, through the word of God, where we begin to see, you know, who we were, and we begin to see who Jesus is, and we see what he's done for us. And we begin to be renewed in knowledge and go, ah, I no longer have to live like that. I've been made a new creation. All things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. I'm now in Christ. And we're renewed in our knowledge and our thinking to see I no longer have to live this way. I have now a greater way to live. And that is in Christ, who now is my life. And it says that this is in accordance to the image of him. See, the new man is to reflect the beauty and glory of Christ. We were created in the image of God that was marred through the fall and through sin, but now God's ideal is to conform us into the image of his son. It says in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Ephesians 4, 24 says, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. We've been created in Christ and according to his image. And now with this new man that we're putting on, this new creation, we're to reflect Jesus in all that we do. Are we reflecting Jesus? Is there still the old nature that's too often seen? Or is it the new creation in Christ that we're exemplifying? This is not, and again, I wanna be so clear, this is not some works-based message. Never do we want to be heard from the pulpit here that this is about what you need to do and this is about what you need to continue to strive for and work for. It's not about a works-based message. This is about you understanding that you have been raised with Christ. He's done it. Live in it. Seek him. Keep growing in him. Treasure him. May he be your affection. And when you live in that, when he is your life, all these things begin to unfold. But be aware, these are things that we want to die to, to say, this isn't a reflection of Jesus. I want to die to that. I want to live in what Jesus has for me. Where in verse 11, Paul says, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, scathing, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. This new man is also part of a new family which favors no race, nationality, class, culture, or ethnic background. It favors only Christ and all are in him. This new life doesn't favor anybody. God makes no distinctions. This isn't for a select few. This new life is for all who simply put their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. I can look out at a church like this and see all different people with different backgrounds, different experiences, different views towards all that's going on in the world. But yet, none of those things are really important because our true identity is wrapped up in Christ and we're all one in him. And he is all and in all and my encouragement is that we keep it all about him and we keep learning of him, growing in him and simply living in him with Christ as our life, our affections set on him to where we see there's no greater treasure than we'll ever have than Jesus Christ. And because he's my affection, let my apparel follow suit to say, I want to reflect him. I want others to see what a, what a difference he makes 
in our life. Worship team, would you come up? We're gonna close with a time of prayer next time. Here in Colossians, I encourage you to read ahead, verse 12 to probably verse 17. We're gonna look at this section more where Paul talks about that new wardrobe we have. And it's exciting getting new clothes, isn't it? For the Christian, there's a new wardrobe that we see just continues to set us apart. So would you stand with me? Let's pray. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're watching online. And this all sounds good, but you're going, how do I have that? How do I experience that blessing and joy in life? That's found in Jesus and in committing your life to Jesus who came and died on a cross to forgive you your sin and pay the penalty for your sin. He died, he rose again that you might be forgiven and have life in him. He says he's the way, the truth, and life and there's no greater life than the life that's lived in and for Jesus. The life that's experiencing the very life of Jesus who has raised us up to have life in him. If you're listening today to this message, whether you're here in this room or online and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he simply invites you to come and to ask for that forgiveness of sin. We use a word called repentance, which simply means that you are turning away from your old life and you're receiving that new life that Jesus gives you as a free gift. He's done all the work for you. He's done this by his grace. You don't earn it, you don't achieve it, you simply receive it, that's what a gift is. And Jesus has done it all for you. He wants you to experience that life in him that not only gives us blessed life now, but it gives us eternal life to where we will live with him in heaven forever and ever. What a gift that is. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to receive him today. Invite him to not just come in your life, but to be your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and receive that free gift today. And if you have, would you come and talk to me after the service? Or if you're watching online, would you email the church? Because we would love to get some information in your hands to help you in this new life with Christ to be encouraged and blessed, all right? Lord, we thank you for our time together here and the word that we get to look at and how it just speaks to our hearts, Lord. And, and we pray, God, that we would be those that are experiencing this blessed life in you as we lay down the old and we put on the new. God, you've already done it. You've raised us up with you. So help us not to be dwelling on the former things, the things of this world, but to set our minds on things above, not on the earth. So Lord, lead us in these things now. We pray in your awesome name, amen.